Welcome to Too Deep, Hokies Under the Influence. My name is Pete Berthod, and my co-host is Robbie Dowling. Virginia Tech lost to Old Dominion 49-35. I feel like an idiot for taking us to cover the spread. Robbie, how do you feel? Well, you would have made probably a good amount of money if you bet for ODU just on the money line. I don't know what the payout would have been, but it would have been good. It would have been like, yeah, 30 times or something. Probably be plus 3,300, something like that. Um, We got fooled again. It's shades of Syracuse coming back on us. Uh, Why don't you give us a cheers if if you can find anything to cheers about? Um. This one, this one was the biggest challenge I've had in, what have we been doing this for, four years we've been doing yeah. the podcast, I think? Uh, I think the only cheers that I have is, thank God this is a young team. That's it. <laughs> and that's being truthful. If this happened to a bunch of juniors and seniors on the team, do you know how much like worse... Like JMU? <laughs> yeah. You know how much worse we would feel right now? The... The hope is is that youth took over this game and we didn't know how to react to it and we can get better from here. The The fact is, is that the expectations got a little bit high for us. We tried to tamper those down. I think we all tried to say we weren't ranked 13. We shouldn't be ranked 13, but this team is, you know, I think we're all victim to the fact that we thought they had more than they did. And when they got... Backed into the corner, they ducked, and instead of like kind of fighting back, so thank thank goodness we got a young team that's going to be really successful. Hopefully, uh, in the future, whether that means this year or next year, I have high expectations for the next couple years, and uh, we'll go from there. Cheers to learning from our mistakes. <laughs> that's about right. Yeah, I just really did not expect this, man. I And that's kind of foolish, I guess, on our part. But when you have a team that's 0-3 and their quarterback has played so terribly, you just don't see things like this coming. Uh, and to their credit, they put in a new guy that we hadn't even really previewed, which I, I you know, the, apologies to our listeners because we didn't see Lou Russa coming in. And anything he's done in the past, if you look at his stats, would not have indicated that he was capable of something like this. We talked about him, I think, last year because it was more of a question of who was going to be the starter. And this year it just completely wasn't on our radar and really wasn't on anyone's radar. Clearly wasn't on Bud Foster's radar. (laughs) Yeah, it's like the Batman Returns. He's just like hiding in like the dark shadows, learning and like getting stronger um, before he comes, comes back. Yeah, I put out the tweet today that the conspiracy theory is it was the long con by Bobby Wilder. He started Stephen Williams starting with the Virginia Tech game last year to to lure us into like a false sense of security and then put Blake Larusa in this year while we're at ODU. It worked out perfectly for him. <laughs> Let's go through some of the news and notes. AP poll is out, and so are we. <laughs> That's not surprising. BC also out. They disappointed us. Uh, what is that? West Lafayette, Indiana. They lost to Purdue. Duke is in, ranked number 22. That is our next opponent. So we have another ranked matchup coming up. This time, the opposing team is ranked. Notre Dame is 8, and Miami moved up to 16 after, I think, 13, 14, 15, and 16 all lost last weekend. Something like that. There's a lot of losses in the latter part of the AP Top 25. 
yeah, I think it was kind of a slide forward for some people, and we'll end up seeing we slid forward. I mean, that's that's what happened to us, and we'll end yeah. up seeing where people end up. But uh, Duke, I think, is deserving. Quite frankly, the way that they have played, um, I know it hasn't been great opponents, but they've been challenging opponents. I mean, it's it's not a bad. I think they're ranked at least on ESPN number eight in terms of opponents played strength of schedule. So um, that's they uh, went on the road and they beat two Power Five teams. And I know it's Baylor and it's who was the other one? Uh, would have been Northwestern. Uh, yes, Northwestern. and then Northwestern went out and lost to Akron. But nevertheless, two Power Five opponents on the road, hardly any teams have done that to this point in the season. And we've only played one and we won our road game against Florida state, but we couldn't come up with the second one versus a much lesser opponent in old dominion. So it's not easy to do, not easy to do at all. So Duke being ranked is definitely worthy. And we got our hands full next weekend and we'll do our Duke preview after we go through the disaster. That was ODU weekend. Part of that disaster, Trevon Hill was dismissed from the team. Our star defensive end, who is leading in both sacks and tackles for loss on the team, has been dismissed. Most people know that this is not a first offense for Trevon Hill. He has had issues in the past. Nothing that's come to, I guess, a real suspension, like a tangible suspension. But he didn't start versus FSU. There were some questions as to whether he was going to play. And something happened after the ODU game. We don't know what it is but he's no longer on the team. Yeah, if you uh, tune into this podcast for speculation about things that we don't know, you're always going to be sorely disappointed because we always try and walk that uh, rope of uh, or that tight walk of talking about what's happened, which is he's gone, he's off the team, and what actually happened, we don't know. And I always just like leaving it at that until I have any better information. You know, he he has had problems in the fa- in the past. If he didn't, then he wouldn't have been sitting out in the for that first half at Florida State and it was well known that he might not be playing in that game anyway just like you said. Uh but other than that, I don't I don't know what happened. I think it could have been, you know, any number of things. So, we'll uh we'll leave it at that. I think it's always best. Emmanuel Belmar is going to step in for him, at least initially. We also have Zion DeBose, Proctor, and Garbett at defensive end. If there was a position where you could lose a guy on the team, defensive end is an okay place for it to happen. They're not going to be at the talent level of Trevon Hill. There's going to be drop-off, but at least we have a number of bodies that can fill in, and they feel good about Belmar, so we'll hang our hat on that. We're going to need some pass rush in Durham this weekend. Yep. Josh Jackson was the other part of the bad news. Broken fibula for him. He had surgery, and he is out indefinitely. You could see him grimacing in pain on the sidelines, and it's just as bad as I think we all suspected it could be. He's probably going to miss the next six weeks, I would imagine. If it's if it's a broken bone, that's pretty much what it normally is, so that's November at the earliest. And now we turn to Willis. Some fans wanted to see Willis to begin with. And I will say he played well, and we can talk about him a little bit more later. Later, It's a bummer to lose Josh. He was our starter. Clearly, he was the best in the eyes of the coaches, so it's going to suck to lose him. Yeah, two years in a row, he's the best in the eyes of the coaches. And forget whether you cared about who ended up starting. You never want to see this. And 
the the coaches are the ones there in practice every single day. They watch these players in and out, how they're treating the locker room, how they're treating the players around them. There's so much that goes to be into being a starting quarterback, and obviously he's the one that showed all of those things. Um, so my heart goes out for him. You know this this was going to be his you know season coming back, and um, we all hope that it was going to be a good one. And you know obviously that's going to be way far off. I did think it was interesting that he. Um, he, he might qualify for a medical redshirt, which uh, Justin Fuente, because he was so busy, hadn't even huh. thought of. Um, yeah. During the press conference, somebody asked him that. I don't know whether that's true. I'm just throwing it out that it was one of the questions during the press conference, whether he could qualify for that. And Justin Fuente's response, I believe, was, uh, I haven't even gotten that far because I've been... So, I mean, he's had a lot go on. Uh, I also hope that you know, the best for, for Ryan Willis and starting as our new, you know, our new starting quarterback for the, for the time being, it sounds like Hen and hooker might get a shot to kind of move around to at times and, and get some playing time. But, um, my, um, my sympathies go out for Josh Jackson. Cause that's just a really, really tough way during a really bad game to go out. Yeah, it really is. The last news item we have, we are drive for 25 ambassadors. <laughs> The timing couldn't be worse for the drive for 25 after that ODU loss. I think we're all well aware of that. But we put out our link today. We've already had some people donate uh, via our link, and that is awesome. We really appreciate it. Robbie, I think you have the names of those people. We just wanted to give them a shout-out real quick. Yeah, I think we can give a quick shout-out. So Jonathan Thomas, uh, uh, Andy Pratt, Norman Farley, Andrew Lohman, Stephanie Vasloff, I think we got your last name right. We're working on our uh, pronunciation. Yeah, that's my friend Steph. Yeah, uh, we went to Bristol together. Hey, Thanks for your donation, go. Steph. <laughs> I think I think I we actually hung out uh, probably over some a few beers uh, when we were all by yeah. our the campers. And um, no, but seriously, I think it's 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 a tough time to be doing a, a drive for twenty five event after something like that. But you know what we tried to tweet out today was. This is a long-term effort. When Dabo came in, like it didn't turn over overnight. Like his first season, I think he went four and seven. Right, his first season at like at Clemson. These things take a long time to uh, mature and become something. And being reactionary because of one really really bad game, and nobody's going to call it anything other than that on this podcast. It was a really bad game. Is not the way to look at the way this program is going to end up getting built into something that we all want it to be. So uh, I'm actually pretty impressed with a lot of the response that I've seen for the drive to for 25 event today. That goes for 24 hours. It started at noon today. We sent out the link just, you know, if you can give something then, then great. And we're all trying to work towards the same thing. All right. And that concludes our news and notes segment. Let's get into the game recap. I'll tell you, Robbie, watching this game again was the most painful thing I've done in a long time. I never rewatched JMU. I never watched the WikiLeaks game, the 0-0 game. I couldn't watch the game. I was out doing something that day, and I heard we lost. I saw the picture that everyone knows about, and I was like, nope, never watching that. It was on my DVR. never watched it. 
I did rewatch this one for the sake of the podcast as my responsibility to, as to knowing what happened. I had a wedding. I couldn't watch the game, but I rewatched it today, and boy, oh, boy, did it suck. <laughs> it was um, in some ways worse than I had heard. because You and I were both at a wedding, so like for full transparency, we were getting updates from a lot of people <laughs> simultaneously, a lot of our friends, a lot of some of the media for... Uh, the Hokies that knew we were at a wedding, we were getting kind of constant updates on how bad it was. And the the funny part was we were, it's not funny, but (laughs) the interesting part was we were always up by seven, but people keep kept tweeting and like sending messages to us that like, it's really bad. And I kept looking at the score, (laughs) looking at it and we were always up by seven I was like, well, how bad can it really be? Like, wait, until you rewatch it, you don't understand. Yeah. I got hundreds of texts. I'm not a popular guy. I just got hundreds of texts from complaining hokey friends, non-hokey friends talking crap. It's just, and I, I was trying to keep up with it, and I'm trying to be present at this wedding, and it wasn't going well. And the crazy thing was, for JMU, I was at a wedding. For Wiki Leaks, I told you I was at something else and I couldn't watch the game. Being at a wedding for the worst losses in Virginia Tech history, <laughs> or some of them, is better than watching it. I'll say tell you that because you have to be a human. You can't be a petulant child when you're at a wedding with friends and family. You have to kind of be an adult. <laughs> That's exactly right. And I think we had a bad loss last year. I can't. I'm, I was trying to go back through it and when my the weddings lined up. But I think the last three years, including this year, every time we've taken kind of a nothing will equate to this loss. But every time we have a bad loss, I'm at a wedding. Every time. So I think it might be you and me cursing like the Virginia Tech football team somehow. <laughs> Lots of people were at weddings. Let's not just put it on us. I, do, I think that's the best place to be, though. If you have to absorb a Virginia Tech loss, at least you didn't watch the game live. Let's do a quick game recap before we get into the reactions, the stats, and all the rest of it. We took the early lead with the long people's TD. He showed a lot of speed on that run. But ODU was the story of the game. They fought right back. It was 7-7. We took a 14-7 lead with the Savoy touchdown. But a costly interception before the half allowed ODU to respond. And it was 14-14 at halftime. And I thought that gave them a lot of momentum. You could go back to that interception if you want to as a key moment in the game. People's got to start it again in the third quarter with some hard running and a touchdown. ODU responded, run by La Russa. Then Hazleton went 72 yards, which was really nice. It was kind of a broken play. The guy fell down. It was a one-play drive, 72 yards for a touchdown. ODU came back down the field again, TD to Fulgham, 28-28. And at that point is when the wheels started to really come off. We had the Jackson injury. We had multiple unsportsmanlike conduct penalties. Another nice pass or two by Larusa, and then they got a TD on the 15-yard run by Cox, and that made it 35-28. We responded ourselves. Seven plays, 75-yard drive, score on the pass to Cunningham. That was when Willis was in the game, and it was a nice little drive. But it was all ODU after that. They scored on their own 75-yard drive, TD to Duhart, and they never looked back. Uh, we tried to put some points on the board late. They added a late touchdown, 49-35, a 14-point margin of victory on what was a 28-point line. Hats off to ODU. 
they did not back down. They were not scared of anything that Virginia Tech was putting out on the field. Russo was throwing, honestly, dimes out there. Those passes were perfection. Granted, if our, I think with a more experienced defensive back core, we would have been able to defend a lot of those, but they still would have been amazing passes. I mean, he was dropping them in, uh, you know, my phrase would be he was throwing solo, in solo cups for like 35-yard you know, passes. Yeah. They were just landing perfectly. So I, I don't like coming out of this game not giving props to ODU for honestly playing great because when I watched it again, they really, they really did. Even if we were playing very, very well, they would have kept this game. We probably, if we had the same team and an experienced team, won and won by a little bit of a margin. But I think the way that they were playing, they would have kept it close because it was uh, pretty on point. It's for the best that we don't do these podcasts the night after the game or even the next night after the game. Cause on Sunday I was still going through the stages of grief. You know, you have the shock and the denial and then anger and anger is the one that tends to last the longest when it comes to these bad losses. And there was anger everywhere, whether it was, you know, in everyone's homes or on social media, everyone was angry and everyone was snapping at each other. I need to knock on our, our team for a couple of reasons before we get into the stats. And we, couldn't deal with their resiliency we were shocked by it we were stunned by it and it wasn't like they punched us in the mouth with scoring going up like two touchdowns or three touchdowns they punched us in the mouth by never going away that was what was so shocking to our team and I think the fourth time they did it when it got to 28 28 we just couldn't deal with anymore like how are these guys hanging with us and we got in our heads and we broke down yeah, I mean, I think I, I joked around with you earlier today that I, I think I mentioned it on the William & Mary podcast or it, 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 like when we were previewing them or it might have been this one where how did these things happen? Where does like, where do you lose to one of these teams? And it's it's a, a, it's a multiple phase thing. Like, it, like it, usually it's like a team gets up by two scores and then you have a young team and they start getting in their own heads and then there's infighting between the team of why you're not picking up the slack and how, and then you start pressing, pressing, pressing. It's like being at the poker table, right? Like you're, or the better blackjack table, like you lost the last five hands. So now you got to throw it all down. And if you watch, you know, you want the perfect example of that, watch Willis in the last like five minutes and he did really, really well at it. But we threw the ball in on 25 yard passes like again and again and again. Like that's what happens when you start pressing because you just have to in order to win. And um, I, I have a, I have the utmost respect for the ODU pro team and what they did. I have a lot to say about this Virginia tech team. So um, maybe we can just kind of get into our side, just like you just mentioned, because um, for as much as they did well, we did terribly, quite frankly, across the board. There was a couple. Does that players. mean you want to start with the defense then? <laughs> yeah, actually, most of my comments are on the defense. I think um, our offensive performance, and actually, it might be easier. Let's just knock out the offense. The okay. I thought our offense uh, for Virginia Tech was pretty good. I thought the offensive line was terrible. I thought they played horrific. I thought there was more pressure put on, um, you know, Josh Jackson. Um, not so much 
when we switched over. But when Josh Jackson had a lot of pressure throughout that game that I think is unwarranted for, for a team like ours that we thought we had a really good and senior-ish offensive line. Well, they were run blocking fairly well, but I would agree with you in pass protection, they were getting to our quarterback and O'Shane Zimenez, which they were pronounced all different kinds of ways throughout the game, but I think they landed on Zimenez, was a killer and was causing all kinds of havoc, particularly early. I was proud of the running game uh, in terms of the offense, and I would say the offense played well, and they got 600 yards. So you'd think, wow, the offense really played out of their minds. But that wasn't really the case. They played well. I'm not saying they didn't play well enough to get the win. They they probably did. They scored 35 points. They had 600 yards. Some of that came late when we're trying to like go down the field, down two touchdowns. So I'm not going to – maybe not all the yards are there. But we got a lot of yards. We got a lot of points. The problem was we didn't dictate the game. Like We didn't set the tempo of that game. We could never separate and – that was on the offense. They they threw that interception at the end of the half instead of grinding down the field, you know, and allowing them to tie it up. And while we did go up by a touchdown, then we would go three and out the next time in the second half. So, yes, the offense played well. 7.2 yards per play, over 300 yards on the ground, which makes me think maybe we should have done even more of that because that they were the offensive line was blocking that well. I saw some good blocking on the outside by the receivers too, I thought a few times. Yeah. Peoples and McLeese were good. Peoples was the star of the game from a Hokie standpoint. If you had to pick one person, uh, that long run, but he kept going throughout the entire game. I was really impressed with him, more impressed than I've been ever before. I mean, he has 255 yards rushing. I think last year he had like 280 on the whole season and he's already got 255 this year, mostly because of this game. Well, I've always, I've been a big proponent of people. So always, I, I like the hard running style. I think it's, and maybe it's just being kind of old school and stupid, but maybe I always like kind of that chip on your shoulder. We're going to run it down your throat, uh, setting, you know, that Georgia style, um, you know, running game, it just it just makes sense to me to have that kind of bruising back, and he showed speed this game. It wasn't even just the bruising back; like he showed when he got in the open field that he can outrun linebackers and you know defensive backs. So, um, uh, you know, I I think a hats off to Stephen Peoples. He kept the effort up throughout this game, and I thought that was really impressive. I thought Josh Jackson. And I know nobody wants to really talk about it because right now at the moment, it doesn't matter. I thought he did really well. He had to run the ball a lot. I mean, he was taking some licks. He had to make stuff on the outside. He's the reason they kept the ball moving. Um, Hazleton is fantastic. That guy is an absolute stud. And I know, you know, it wasn't just a matter of numbers because he gets more targets than anybody right now, but he gets more targets for a reason. He, this guy... It's going to be awesome for us. So if I had to come away with three players and on top of that, Ryan Willis coming in without any um, kind of breathing room and having to try to make something out of nothing. I thought between those four players, those were, you know, those, the, the, my highlights. Josh was good. Um, maybe even just okay. Uh, he ran well. I, I get that. There's just something about the performance as a whole that left me wanting a little bit more. And, 
I know he got hurt, and I, I do like Josh. We've both of us have you know really stood behind him, but there's just a little bit of inefficiency with the way he was running the offense. A 40.5 QBR reflects that 40.5, whereas Willis had a 73.6 QBR. Completely different situations in the game, but Willis came in in a very tough situation and performed well and was more efficient in some ways. And I'll I'll say I didn't expect him to be able to move like that on the ground. He ran the ball pretty well himself, um, but I'm not really trying to knock Josh. They both played well. I thought both quarterbacks played well enough to win the game if the defense is holding up their end of the bargain, but they were not, unfortunately. Yeah, and I think I mentioned this to you earlier, and you might have had information on this that I didn't. I have time, didn't have time to look up, but Wheatley was out, so we didn't have the jet sweep this week, which I think always keeps. Um, uh, I don't want to go back to like the old days of the jet sweep, like you know the Beaver days. Yeah. I'm talking <laughs> the about spring. Yeah. yeah, that's not what I'm talking about because if anybody thinks that's what I'm talking about, that's not. what I'm, I'm talking about how Justin Fuente and Cornelson use it. It works really well. It spreads everybody very thinly, and we didn't have it this game. And I don't know if I think it looks like Wheatley was out of the game. And yeah, well, he had a shoulder thing from William and Mary, and I guess that kept him out because I didn't see him. I did notice they had Savoy running in the sweep motion a couple times, maybe as a fake, but I don't recall us ever really running it, even with hate with because we did it with Grimsley in the previous games too. Yeah. And maybe they saw something that they didn't think they could run that same, you know, action yeah. against ODU. But one of the most impressive things that I saw in the first two games that we had was our ability to run the jet sweep, spread things out, and then like throw the ball, like run a slant, like run, and it it really mixed things up in a really solid way. And I think that was missing in this game. It was either run it down your throat or we're going to pass. But overall. The, the the offense was not the problem in this game overall, so we might as well transition over to what was yeah. a big problem. Yeah, we should. The only last thing I want to say about the offense is we were 4 of 13 on third down, and that speaks to my inefficiency. While somehow we still had the 7.2 yards per play, most of that was due to two plays, the 72-yard pass and the 80-whatever-yard run. Uh if you take the them out, which you can't really take them out, but I think you get my point, that the efficiency rating of the offense was greatly increased by just two plays. Um, four of 14 on third down is not going to get it done. The defense was pretty bad, especially for the final 32 minutes or so, and that was after Josh's interception. I, and again, this is where we really need to give ODU credit because when I rewatched it, I was expecting it to be worse, kind of like you said earlier. We were getting so many texts about, do you guys understand? Like, this is horrible. Like, we look absolutely horrible. And yeah, there were a lot of plays where they were wide open and the defensive back made a really bad move or missed a tackle or whatever. But LaRusso was like unstoppable. Like, he only had 60% completion, which it's hard to believe because it seemed like so much more. 494 yards. 10 yards per attempt, four touchdowns and another rushing touchdown. And every ball, like you said, was just perfect. It was a dime, like over and over and over again. The running back Cox was a beast. That guy is huge and impossible to bring down. Their wide receivers, two of them had nine catches each. Fulgham and Duhart, two of the guys we talked about, four total touchdowns between the two of them. So let's give them their credit. But 
let's rip apart this defense because <laughs> it was bad. I, I mean, the front was basically lackadaisical in what they were attempting to do. They didn't really look like they had that much effort. No. And the back, our DBs looked like they were putting in the effort, but they weren't completing what they were supposed to do in assignments. Like they were like there. Everybody, well, on some plays, there were some plays yeah. that, like, you couldn't find somebody for 45 yards. Like, you you were trying to figure out. But they were just, it's like you're there. Now just, like, put your hands up and knock down the ball. And instead, they just didn't have the experience to do that. I, I on the DB side, it was a 100% lack of experience, in my opinion, because you could just see that they're right there. The speed's there. Farley was there. You know, they 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 were all close enough, but they didn't the know what to do. The coverage wasn't always bad. Yeah, they just couldn't finish the job. And some of that's the receiver, some of that's the throw positioning, and some of that's on them. You had a pass interference on Farley. That was terrible. You had a guy catching a ball off his knee. So at times we were in the right spots and the coverage was decent, but they just couldn't complete the play. And some of that is the experience you're talking about. 631 yards was the most ever allowed by a foster defense. That stat has been making the rounds most ever in 24 years of Bud Foster defense. I mean, Jesus Christ. You That just goes to show you how many things have to go wrong, how many things have to go right for the offense in order for something like that of historic proportions to happen. It has to be a perfect mixture of youth on our side and mistakes on our side and perfect play on their side. Yeah, and penalties. Also, I mean, holy, I, I, I put this out on, there's a lot of things I do when I'm, you know, hanging out, drinking and, you know, posting on Twitter during a game. But what I don't regret is saying that there needed to be an apology for like the amount of penalties. Like if there's a, and let's, let's take this a different way. If there's a bunch of like, you know, offsides or like false starts. Okay. You have that many personal foul penalties. The coaches are to blame, period. That is it. That is it. There's nobody else. When you have that many personal fouls that are in a row that actually end up costing you the game, and I think it costs at least a touchdown and a field goal uh, at the end, then that that is unacceptable. Like, it does not work that way. It's so I was so pissed about a lot of things. That one really, really set me off was the number of personal fouls because that's controllable. Like that is the one thing you can control other than trying to play with max effort. Those were not max effort plays. Those were terrible actions. Eight penalties for 96 yards in total. If we want to finish talking about just some of the positions in general on defense, the linebackers were kind of atrocious in this game. Dylan Rivers, Devin Hunter, just keep going down the line. There was a lot of mistakes made, and I don't want to single any guy out too, too much. But, man, some of the some of the tape is really, really ugly. Dylan Rivers and Reggie Floyd, when they whiffed <laughs> on that one play in the end zone for the safety, which should have yeah. been of safety. Rivers went right by him. He missed, I think... It, like if I was playing that, I'm not putting this on Dylan Rivers. I if I was playing that and watched it, I would have been like, man, Robbie is drunk. Like there's no <laughs> way he missed by like almost four yards. Like and it was should have been a safety. That should yeah. have been taken. It was very close. Yeah. I don't know. I I wish 
I, I don't have a whole, like, we're trying to attack this from 10,000 feet because you could break down a bunch of different plays. You've got coverage on two guys on one side and there's trips on the other with one guy, you know, there, you could point to so many individual coverages that were just like, this play is doomed from the start. But then you could point to some other ones where it's like, man, that coverage is perfect. And that ball just slid right where it needed to slide to get, you know, 20 yards down the field. And everyone was a bomb. And the way La Russa was moving around, I mean, he'll never have a game like that ever again in his life, probably. Like that was the definition of lightning in a bottle is what Blake La Russa did on Saturday. I think because... I, I know we're trying to talk about our defense, but I can't get over some of the throws and the playmaking that he did. The way that I think you can marry those two problems, because that's what we've been talking about a lot, is what happens, and I know it just got talked about in the presser, but what I came away with, when you're, I always think to the Notre Dame game, like you go back, what happens when adversity strikes in the Arkansas game. Like what happens when things like a team will not go away or you have to come back. Those are pretty much the same things like in terms of adversity standpoint. So in my mind, that's where, that's where I put this game is this team does not at present, they may moving forward, know how to handle adversity and it showed up. That's why you have, you know, people arguing. Look at the, look at the film. There's people arguing. I showed you showed. I sent you clips. We were looking yeah. at them of people arguing on the field with each other, getting in fights on the sidelines. Like, forget the whole Trayvon Hill thing. That's not what part of this conversation. Everybody, when Josh Jackson gets carted off, first of all, when he went down, nobody came over to him. Nobody said anything. Cunningham was the only one. He gave him a pat on the butt, and then that was it. Every the offensive line came over afterwards. And then they all like after he was already gone, they all came over and said something like it, it was it was just a bad, bad situation for when you get down and because you're embarrassed. You're there's a lot of players out there that are in front of their family, their friends. You can understand pretty quickly how these things snowball when you look at it that way, like. Oh, my dad's up in the stands. I can't believe I'm playing like this. We're losing. I can't believe we're losing this game. I told him that we were going to win. You start to understand how things snowball that way. And that's why I think it was good on, on Fuente to in the press conference to put it, thankfully, because if he didn't, I would have gotten really pissed, to put it on his shoulders and say this was because of the coaches. We didn't coach them how to deal with this type of situation. When you get down in a bad situation against a team that you should be beating, um, that's what I took away is the the youth and experience and the you know immaturity of this team, but that is nothing to take away from the upside potential that they all have. And that's fine. That's Everybody should be comfortable with that. That said, we're going to have to live with this game just like uh, Michigan Appalachian State for the rest of our lives. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's quite on that level. At least Old Dominion is FBS. You know, they're a D1 team as opposed to a D1AA as Appalachian State was at the time and at JMU was at the time of that loss. I do want to talk about worse loss and that kind of idea. I just wanted to to put a pin in the game, and you're right. When you go back and you think about Notre Dame, you think about Arkansas, and even in Syracuse and Georgia Tech, the first year of Fuente, we got punched in all of those games. But in all of them, 
we kind of fought back. And even in Syracuse, we were starting to try to come back. And Georgia Tech, we started to try to come back. And those were all Gerard Evans, and he he had a different kind of fire in him that I'm not sure any of our quarterbacks have currently. But it's a whole team thing, and it was a lot about the defense this time because in those games, the defense was eventually able to stop the bleeding, and that just never came to be. We need the leaders on that defense to start to emerge and step up. And the Reggie Floyds of the world are those times people, Ricky Walker, Floyd was talking to Gaines after that penalty, just like, what are you doing? Get out of your head right now. You need to get in the game. Uh, So I'm hoping that that will carry over all these young guys will learn from this. That's that's really all we can do, and we need to put it behind us because you could talk in circles about this game. It was real bad. You can question whether we should have ever been playing there, and we're not going to get into that from a football aspect of it. Going to opposing stadiums is dangerous. If you're if you play on the road, you increase your probabilities of losing the game. That's well known. SEC teams pay the big bucks to get teams to come to them because they know this and we might know it too. And I know there's a lot of reasons that game took place. We put our head in the lion's mouth, pun intended. And guess what? They were hungry. <laughs> yeah. And guess they, what? They were it, hungry, man. Our team can do better by preparing better. Like we did not prepare appropriately for that game. So nope. Um, you can say we were unprepared. We were, we're inexperienced. We're like, you know, kind of silly. any number of things that are adjectives that you want to put to our team. We were not prepared for getting punched in the mouth a few. And we didn't even get punched in the mouth. It was just like that gnat that won't go away. You're just like sitting there and you're like trying to swat it off over and over. We kind of over punched again. ourselves in the mouth. And then like you accidentally like hit yourself in the face and like fall <laughs> yeah. off the chair is basically what happened. And that's, um, that's preventable. Like that yeah. that's prevent like going up against Alabama is not preventable. Like they're gonna curb stomp you and just destroy you. Going up against this team in their house and their location, you have to prepare your team to understand that this is their Super Bowl. They they are going to come out and throw everything at you. Do not sleepwalk through this game. Yeah. And I do feel as though I can't, you know put words in his mouth i feel like fuente and foster may feel as though that they didn't put that enough in the team was to feel like this team was going to come out and really try and destroy you and if we're going to keep this series up which we have it for a long time every coach needs to tell everybody that that that's what they're going to do because they're going to be more confident the fact yeah yeah that it's zero to lose on odu's part you have everything to lose and virtually nothing to gain, and you need to know that, understand it, and play hard anyway, whereas they're the exact opposite. And Fuente is now 3-2 and two when he goes on the road and is a double-digit favorite. <laughs> the two losses are, of course, Syracuse and ODU. It's something that Fuente is going to have to improve upon, preparing his team even when he's heavy favorite. Look at the way Saban does it. I know he's the best in the game, but he's the best in the game for a reason because he never lets his players feel good. He never lets them not smell their own crap. Yeah, he basically is like, oh, uh, yeah, Tua, you only scored five touchdowns, so good job. Yeah, You suck, get back in the film room. There were supposed to be six. That's why we put in... in It's rat poison, Robbie. (laughs) The the players were feeling good about themselves when they talked about it. Rat poison so, Coca-Cola. He did actually hit on that. 
we're going to take a beer break in just two minutes, but we need to talk about this in the pantheon of worst tech losses. We've already mentioned a couple, and uh, we're just going to use JMU, the weight game, ODU, and I guess that Temple game too we'll throw in. Even though me and you, we weren't in school yet, and we weren't really fans of the program yet, um, but a lot of people consider that to be one of the worst losses. There's a difference between worst and most improbable, and I think there, that's a key key thing there. JMU to me is the worst, like that because it's so close to Blacksburg. It was at home as opposed to being on the road, and it was to a team that isn't in D one. It's not an FBS. Yeah i I was at that game. I was at that game with. I went to JMU my freshman year before I transferred to Virginia Tech. So we're going full transparency mode. And that was really painful. But JMU, here's where I kind of counter that. JMU was on the up and up. I mean, they have, you can call them an FCS team, but they've also won, you know, a national championship at the FCS level. They have really great coaches, coaches that are getting poached by other like major programs in the nation right now because of how well they have done. So uh, I, I hear that. I, I think the ODU is... Yeah, runner-up to JMU. The JMU being at home, I don't know about the Temple game. I've heard from everybody under the sun that that's like kind of the worst one. I wasn't a big fan at that time, so it's hard for me to give my opinion. So I would say JMU, having been at that game, watching it with a JMU fan, and then seeing what happened afterwards, afterwards, I that was painful. Yeah. To me, it's it's JMU, and it's not really a contest. Wake and Temple, we were both in conference with those teams when those games happened, right? I mean, the Wake loss is just kind of legendary because of the picture, and it's embarrassing. Like that's if you want to go most embarrassing, you might have a case with Wake. Oh, it's definitely <laughs> Wake by far. That picture, <laughs> I don't know. JMU is pretty embarrassing. That picture is the bane of my existence. It literally I know you hate it so much. I I go after everybody. I hate that picture. But I would almost argue that ODU is the most improbable. We were 27, 28-point favorites. I think at the JMU game, we were 33-point favorites. But that was on five days rest after Boise State. So that is a game-changer to me. After a major depressing loss, you could kind of see the probability of that happening. ODU, we had two weeks off. And I know it wasn't at home like JMU, but I just felt like there's absolutely no way we could have lost on Saturday, and we did. It's unacceptable. I I know we've been talking about this game, but that loss is not good. Like that's not no. a that's like horrific. It's it's not a program ruiner or anything like that. But it is it is a bad bad unacceptable loss. Let's let's not sugarcoat it anymore. <laughs> we've kind of been <laughs> tiptoeing around it. This is a horrific loss. Like, unbelievably bad. I was reading Andy Bitter's stuff about the game uh, last night, and I was just getting so worked up again, like I was right after I saw the result, like I was on Sunday. And now I'm here on Tuesday night, and I'm working myself up again. Horrific loss. Is it the worst? Is it the most improbable? I don't know, but it's really freaking bad. Yeah, who cares whether it's the worst or it's just like a really terrible loss. We try not to get ourselves, if you wanted to, like, you know, call into 
you know, cow herd and have us like yelling at the microphone, that wasn't going to happen. So the emotions are a little bit more subdued if it's your first time tuning in for a Virginia Tech podcast, which I doubt it is after that game. It's probably not going to be that way, but we're not very happy about the way that things transpired on the field. But good news is the coach and the players aren't either. Yeah. No, I think Fuente's comments on Tech Talk Live made me feel better. Bud's comments today at the press conference made me feel better. Every day that goes by is another day to heal and get over it. And I already feel better up until a couple minutes ago than I did after the game. Um, I want to go down to Duke and I want to win. And I hope that they can bounce back and do that. We're going to preview Duke. Let's take a beer break. Robbie, what are you drinking? So one of my favorite beers is the Fresh Squeeze IPA by Deschutes. They have come out a little late in the season, by the way, uh, with the Fresh Haze IPA. So obviously Doug playing off the whole hazy New England style IPA. And... It's um, it's actually, it, it's very good. I love Fresh Weezed. I love Deschutes and what they do in Oregon. It's not that great. I was expecting a ton. It, evidently, I was talking to the guy down the street that I buy all my beer from. He said it's been selling off the shelves like crazy, probably because many people like the Deschutes Fresh Squeezed. But um, they didn't really... They went half-assed, I guess, is the best way to put it, on a hazy IPA. They they didn't want to fully commit, and they didn't want to make from an Oregon brewery themselves into somebody that puts out New England-style IPAs is the best way I could articulate it. But it is certainly good if you like uh, that style. I am drinking Heart of Darkness by Magic Cat Brewing Company. Magic Cat, while has been around for a long time... I, I'm not sure we've ever had any of their stuff on the podcast before. Uh, this is a stout. Heart of Darkness I felt was fitting for the way I'm feeling. <laughs> I Oktoberfests are over. I've got to change up the lock here. So I'm done with the Oktoberfest. Decided to go with Heart of Darkness. It's really good. It's got a chocolatey taste to it. A little bit sweet. Definitely like malty. Like, it's got a great stout flavor. I would really recommend this Heart of Darkness to anyone. Okay, it is now time to move on. We have Duke coming up at 7 p.m. on ESPN2. We're going to try to fire through this because we spent a little bit more time talking about the ODU game, which I guess we should have factored in because I knew we were probably going to carry <laughs> carried away a little bit. Duke is looking good. We mentioned it briefly at the beginning of the podcast. They are 4-0. They are 27th in the S&P Plus. Wins over Army, Baylor, Northwestern, and NC Central. None amazing, but a couple of solid wins in there. Obviously, they're coached by David Cutcliffe. As Bud put it, it's the most prepared team we play every year. And I know your admiration for Coach Cutcliffe. I know. I I, I always joke about uh, Adazio and Loving, which actually came back in my face after the past week. <laughs> Did not go well. But Cutcliffe is um, well-respected as one of the best um in, in terms of respect, niceness, like approving of other programs, being generous to them. Um, I love that this always is a tough week because I love Cutcliffe so much. And I also want Duke to lose so badly. So, and because he, but it, he put, he put together 
what we're about to talk about, which is a really good team again with nothing. And he lost his starting quarterback and they're still performing somehow. So let's, let's get into it because Cutcliffe is a genius and um, he's also very well um, respected by all the coaches in the ACC. I thought it was interesting too on Tech Talk Live. Fuente talked about how Cutcliffe, I'm not sure if he was directly recruiting him, but he they had conversations when Fuente was a senior in high school about maybe going to Tennessee or something when Peyton Manning was there. That was 1995 uh, when Fuente was a senior. I thought that was pretty, pretty interesting. And he said he's always revered Coach Cutcliffe and they've had a lot of conversations over the years. So pretty cool to have that relationship as well. Cutcliffe is a quarterback guy. I mean, that's how he came up with Peyton Manning. I think he was the coach of Ole Miss when Eli was there, uh, and that gave him a lot of credit in the football world, and he ended up at Duke and getting them on the right track. They go to bowl practically every year now, which is unheard of a few years ago with Duke. And while they did lose Daniel Jones, who we had talked about being the best quarterback on our schedule, um, we didn't know Blake LaRusso was on our schedule, <laughs> but he's out. And so they're turning to Quentin Harris, who's won the last two games. He went down to Baylor, first time starter, and he came out as the victor. And then last game against NC Central, he played most of the game. He got an ankle twisted or something later in the game. Cutcliffe said he could have come back in, but they didn't need him. So he'll be the starter. He's being a little cagey about Daniel Jones's health. Uh, Cutcliffe is he's, he's saying that he's practicing in full pads, but Jones broke a collarbone two, three weeks ago. It's the same, like as the Michael Brewer injury, it's, he's not going to play versus tech. If he plays versus tech, I feel like that'd be really irresponsible. Yeah. People are just trying to, any, anything you can do to throw Bud Foster off his game. People are just kind of tossing out there. And, these two quarterbacks are very interesting. They've both been extremely efficient from a production standpoint, but in terms of a play-by-play, um, they both have 29 <laughs> completions, but one has 59 passes and the other has 39 passes. <laughs> and Daniel Jones is the one with 39, Quentin Harris is with 59. So that's a 49% completion percentage to 74% completion percentage. But both of them have zero interceptions. I know the opponents are different and what happened is different, but the way they're going about it, you know, really what you all only care about is what's the TD mark at the end of the day. And, and, and have they not thrown any interceptions? You know, the yardage is not all that important when you start looking at quarterbacks. Yeah. Harris has seven total touchdowns. Jones was a good runner and Harris might be even a better runner than him. If you had to pick one, you'd want Jones starting the game. That's why he was their starting quarterback. He's more efficient from a QBR standpoint, from a passer rating standpoint by quite a bit, most of that because of that completion percentage. But Harris is no slouch, and with each week, he's going to get a little better. I'm glad we're facing Harris and not Jones. Let me put it that way. He's he's not as big, not as bruising in the run game, and I think because of how many short passes Harris throws, like Daniel Jones is more willing to go down the field. Whereas Harris, he's got what uh, 6.6 yards per attempt. That's really low. And part of that is because of the receivers and they're tailoring it to the receivers. TJ Ramming, he's a small position guy. They pass to him mostly. 
and it's not going very far down the field. And some of that's probably to get Harris comfortable. Yeah, that's exactly. And he's been comfortable. That's what I was going to say is that that's exactly right. Is the being comfortable with the passes is uh, Cutcliffe is smart. Like he does not come you like send him out and be like, "Oh yeah, well, here's a 30-yard out route that I'm going to send into double coverage." You know, he's 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 that good to your point about being really good with quarterbacks. I think that's an important important aspect of this. And they've got good weapons. If you look at their running backs, they've got three guys that can carry the football at a pretty efficient clip. They had three wide receiver starters coming back into this year, all seniors, Roming, uh, Lloyd, and Taylor, and they're all playing pretty well. It's mostly Lloyd and Roming, though, that are putting up the numbers so far this year. They both have double-digit catches, and I think Lloyd is leading the team. He's got a 19 yard per catch average almost so he's going down the field i didn't really think they had any down the field threats but lloyd has been good and even aaron young he's only got four catches but 114 yards so he's got a nice average too they might be able to go down the field a little bit more if jones is in the game but they still have threats even with harris yeah lloyd he's the leading receiver he also had a 66 66 yard catch which also boosted up the numbers a little bit for a touchdown but he's still even without that average more yards per catch than than anybody uh ramming is uh scary he's also got three uh touchdown receptions on the year he's also second in all-purpose yards but that's also because he does uh punt returns so he had an 86 yards of punt returns so looking at the all-purpose yards is a little bit deceiving um, between those two, they're a little bit, little bit frightening in in the receiving game. And then, and then you add in the tight ends. Yeah, the tight ends have, have been remarkable. And then, um, I I think this is a really solid offense. And you bring in between the running backs, I think it's pretty well balanced between the running backs and the wide receivers and the tight ends. I think this is a really balanced offense. It's super balanced. Coppenhaver, a tight end, has three touchdowns on five catches. <laughs> the old Chris Cunningham line from two years ago. Uh, and the offensive line, I think they have an Ohio State transfer on the O-line. I thought that was going to be their weakness. So far, they have been very good. 16th in tackles for loss allowed nationally. So they're in the top 20, not letting people into their backfield. They have not faced a pass rush as good as ours. It would be better if Trevon Hill was playing, but it's going to still be the best pass rush they've faced. I was looking up all their other opponents, and everyone's in the bottom half of FBS in terms of tackles for loss, and we're top 25. So we should be able to put some serious pressure and make that offense work like it hasn't worked uh, in the first four weeks. Brown is frightening me a little bit. I mean, he when yeah. he gets in space... It's not. No, I'm not saying he's like an all-star, but uh, just to kind of sum up the offense, mm-hmm. when he gets in space, he's got a little bit of speed to him. He's got some juice, and that's the only other thing that I'm a little bit worried about is how our how our defensive backs and it should be on our linebackers, but I don't even know if they're going to be the ones that have to do contain. He's he's good. Yeah, no, Brown. Brown's a good player. Deion Jackson, the bigger back, I, it scares me too. 5.1 average, three TDs. They can, this is a good team. It's a good offense. If Jones was in there, I'd be really terrified. I'm still pretty scared. I'm afraid. I've been scared about this game already. So, like, it's weird. The loss to ODU, it, it, 
it changes the way we approach Duke because now you're not waiting for the shoe to drop. The shoe has it's dropped, and now we're it's a it's a different approach. This is about this is a bounce back. If we win this game, this is and that sucks. But the narrative, the national narrative, is Virginia Tech bounces back to win against Duke. Guarantee it. Yeah, I'll find a headline for it if we ever win this game. And but that's also a good thing. We play better. Justin Fuente said himself last week. He said, "I like you guys when everybody thinks you sucks. Like when you suck, you guys play better." I'm excited. Yeah, we went from no doubt being favored in the game, and we are five point underdogs at this point. Um, I, I think I like the approach. I just don't like the way we got there. (laughs) Couldn't agree more. Let's go to the defense. They have also been really good so far. Thirty first in the S and P plus, twenty fifth in yards per play on defense. Same amount of sacks as us with nine. But 62nd nationally in tackles for loss per game. So it's not a ton of getting in the backfield. We're, we're way higher in that category. They have a strong defensive line and very strong linebackers. The DBs are hurting a little bit. They've got some injuries back there, including Mark Gilbert, who was like an all-ACC guy, and he's done for the year. And a couple other guys are nicked up. What scares you the most on this defense? What scared us in the preview, and that's Ben Humphreys. I mean, the the guy's a monster, and he's amazing. And I think he he's leading the team with thirty one tackles. He has a sack. the 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 number of what's the best way to answer this question? The number of sacks for um, Duke is actually less than I would have expected, given how mm-hmm. well that they've performed. But the number of tackles. Uh, Singleton was another name that we had kind of previewed and it's tied for second with 31 and he also has two forced fumbles and a half sack. I think those two are probably the ones that we were looking at before and I think Humphreys has just continued to do what he's done for what the past two we've been previewing him for two seasons already. Yeah. And pairing him with Joe Giles Harris, who had 16 tackles for loss in 2017. Again, his numbers aren't where you'd expect them to be, similar to Humphreys. Like you expect both of those guys to maybe have a couple more tackles for loss at this point in the season. But Giles Harris and Humphreys are the heart and soul of the team. You add in a couple of the safeties, and it's kind of crazy that Leonard Johnson, a freshman safety, passed Jordan Hayes, someone that we've seen for a couple of years, and pair him with Singleton. They're good in the safety game. They've got McDuffie, too, coming back off an ACL. Their corners are the ones that are going to be a little susceptible. I think Willis will be able to expose them a little bit. I, I do think our receivers and Willis will be able to move the ball on the secondary. I'm very interested to see how Fuente deals with the linebackers, what he chooses to do. The jet sweep would be key in this game. I really think it would be key. So whether or not we have Wheatley, I think we'll see it more than we saw last week for sure. I think Wheatley is key to this game no matter what, so I agree. The defensive line, I don't think there's any standouts on it. I just think it's deep. Like It's deep and everyone's kind of pretty good. It, they're all underclassmen, though. So this line is something to watch the next couple years at Duke because they're all like freshmen and sophomores and just a couple juniors. I would agree with that. I think the my whole thing comes back to for what we are 
And I always try and pair it up with what we've been successful in. And that's where I come back to the jet sweep. If, but if we're, what, what, what we just saw in the end of that game, and I think we saw it in the game before, is that we're we're probably going to be throwing the ball a lot more. Uh, and I, I hate to take that uh, approach knowing that it was the end of the game. We need yardage. We have to go deep, you know, and that. But it, it just looked like there was a lot more control over the ball in the deep pass. So the defensive backs, I think, for Duke, um, and they're are going to be where I think they're going to be most susceptible to to damage in this game. It's going to be interesting. We'll find out what ends up happening. But we're, we have a brand new quarterback. We don't actually know what's going to end up happening. We know what's existing in the run game. I I and it's been good. The running game has been good. It has been on point. I mean, Peoples has been done like doing really well. I mean, he, but I, I'm not sure what we're going to see in this game. I think it's going to be a little bit strange, and I think that uh, Fuente is going to bring out something unique to try and get a W here to right size the ship. I'm wondering if he's just going to decide like we know your linebackers are your best unit. We're going to come right at you and just see if this offensive line and those running backs with the way they've been getting five, six yards per carry pretty consistently on average, just go right at them and just, you know, do some different mixed direction things, but ultimately just say, like, try and stop us. Willis is going to pass the ball quite a bit. I I think he'll probably have 25, 30, 33 attempts in this game. I think it's going to be a back-and-forth kind of game. I think Duke's definitely going to score some points. (laughs) <laughs> after last week it'd be hard to look at it any other way uh but we're going to pick this game against the spread and i guess we can talk a little bit more about your overall thoughts then do you want to do picks now or do you want to do one more beer um let's do uh picks the last my last thought is exactly what you just said is wheatley i think becomes even more critical in this game because i i, I just like spreading the defense and it, pushing out the linebackers out of, you know, the pie, you know, I just think that's really important. And if we're missing him again, and I don't know if it's come out, whether he's going to be playing, I think it's really important that we can have that play because it really changes the dynamic of our offense. All right. We're going to pick Virginia tech Duke first, Virginia tech going to number 22 Duke five point favorites. Who do you got? Uh, not re- not responding. <laughs> there's no. This is, a, this is the most lose lose pick ever. Uh, I'm gonna. I have written down Duke. I'm gonna pick Virginia Tech, actually. So. Oh, switching it up. Yeah, it's probably a bad thing for everybody involved. I'm gonna take Virginia Tech to cover the spread too. I, that five points. I'm not saying we're gonna win the game. I just think with the bounce back, with the embarrassment. These guys are going to be focused. They're going to be ready to play. We can keep it within three. Even if we lose, I think we can keep it within three. I'm hoping for the big bounce back win. I, I kind of, I don't like our chances necessarily. It's it's hard to know after last week. It, it's such a young team. I don't know how they're going to respond. I don't. I I do feel like the defense will step up enough, and the offense will know it's got a heavy workload at the beginning. It will know that and they will put up points. Next game we're going to pick UNC at Miami. Miami's number 16 and they are 18 point favorites. 
I had a really hard time with this one because UNC just beat Pitt. The game before that, they lost to ECU. The game before that, you know, Pitt had beaten Georgia Tech. It It's so hard to figure out UNC with the suspensions and everything else. I'm going to take Miami to cover those 18 points. And I don't I don't like the pick. I'm not going to bet on the game with any of my actual money. But we pick ACC games here. So I'm going to take Miami to cover. I think their defense will shut down uh, who's ever starting at quarterback. I can't remember his name for UNC. He had a really good game against Pitt. Pitt's secondary is still trash. It hasn't gotten fixed in like three years. And uh, I think Miami's is far better. So we'll see. And Miami's starting that new quarterback too. I have Miami. Can you believe right, that? You easy. It's just <laughs> that's just. I, I have that it was written, an easy one. For me. I have it written here. Like I don't. UNC has overperformed against what they should be doing, and as hard as that is to say. So, Nathan uh, Elliott. That's the UNC quarterback name. Yeah. Here we go. Next now, game. Now we get into the good stuff. Yeah. Last year, this was a huge upset. Syracuse playing Clemson. Clemson is number three, and this time it's in Clemson, South Carolina. Clemson, 24-and-a-half-point favorites. You're up. Uh, If this was on the road, I would pick Syracuse, but because it's in Death Valley, I'm picking Clemson. That's it. There's no other reason. I think Syracuse is good this year. I think they have a high-powered offense. I think they can really do a lot of damage to teams. But the only reason, only reason I'm picking uh, a 24 and a half point spread is because it's in death Valley and the revenge factor. Uh, I don't buy into that. I think, yeah, I think that's against Dabo's mentality. I think Dabo doesn't play into that kind of stuff. I think he thinks every game you know, the Saban mentality, this is a mm-hmm. game. We need to demolish them. We are going to win. We will kill them. Like it's just very methodical. I think that's the only way you get to that elite level, which I hope we achieve someday. But I don't think it has. I don't think the revenge even means anything to to Dabo. Well, he walked into the locker room and congratulated Syracuse last year, so maybe you're right. <laughs> I am going to take Syracuse. I think Dungey will be able to do enough to keep it to 23 points or 21 points rather than 24 and a half. I don't know. Clemson just played two option teams, and that I got to play like an air team. I know Dungey runs too, and but they they put the ball in the air a lot in Syracuse. So I'm gonna take I'm gonna take Hughes. Next game: UVA at NC State. NC State is five point favorites. This could be a really fun game. I guess I'll go. I'll go. First. I'll go. I'm fine. Okay. Uh, I'll go UVA. Uh, they're turning on the afterburners. I feel like. Yeah, you know, the UVA team is starting to come around. I feel as though we should I, I also pick this in a way to like keep them on our radar because this could be an end of, end of season problem. And NC State, I don't I don't see them really improving week after week, but that UVA game, they demolished Louisville. Like they destroyed yeah. them. That that I put more money on them betting wise than I did on any other team because UVA was a lock to demolish them and they did. So I'm just going to go with UVA. Yeah. Louisville looks really bad and UVA to their credit. They looked pretty good in that game. I'm going to take UVA as well. They have not, not covered. They've covered every game. So I've got to take them again. 
Florida State is playing Louisville in Louisville, and they are six and a half point favorites over the Cardinals. Can we cancel this game? <laughs> yeah, it's it might not be pretty. Let's put it that way. But the nice thing, the nice thing for Florida State is that Louisville has no defense, and so. The bad might cancel. Like I, I'm rooting for Florida State in the game, obviously, and I think they're going to cover as well. All right, so you're Florida State. I had, yeah. I had Florida State as well. I mean, uh, I think we can. You all, can't bet on Louisville right now. We can all laugh that this is literally the worst game in the ACC, and that's <laughs> saying a lot. Like the, the Wake Forest. I think I <laughs> the Wake Forest games and BC and Syracuse games are getting a ton of hype. Then this is the worst game. Yeah. I think I'd rather watch BC Temple this weekend than watch Florida State Louisville. I would absolutely watch AJ Dillon this weekend versus watching either of these players. I'm not sure who. And uh, Cam Akers is, hasn't done all the things that we were excited about him doing. All right, let's go outside the ACC for the big games. Ohio State going to Happy Valley. Ohio State's number four and Penn State is number nine. These are the number one and two scoring offenses in the country. Ohio State, three and a half point favorites on the road. Who do you got, Robbie? I, I think this is a coin toss. I don't know how this is going to actually play out. I'm going to go with, it's in Happy Valley, right? I'm going to go with OS. Now I'm going to go with Penn State. Flip-flopping. I'm also going to go with Penn State. I have watched... Almost every single one of their games, just because of my family ties and everything else. And while the competition hasn't been as stiff as what Ohio State has seen, particularly in TCU, although that's that's in question now after the Texas game, Penn State looks real good. I think even if they don't win, which I think they will win outright, they're going to cover with that hook. So I'm going to take Penn State against the three and a half. I don't want to give anything away to how good things have looked at Ohio state. It's like really disturbing the, how good, like if it's, if they start getting on a roll, they could really blow out Penn state, but I think Penn state can control it, contain it, and then win a close game. Um, yeah. In, in Take the game. points in a shootout though. And I really think that that's yeah. what this could end up being. Stanford and Notre Dame is the last game we're going to pick. We have some interest in this game as we will be playing Notre Dame after Duke Stanford's number seven. Notre Dame is number eight, and Notre Dame is favored by five. Stanford coming off the crazy finish against Oregon, covering the spread, helping me out on my uh, lock of the week last week. Not all my picks went so well, but that was nice. Now Stanford has to go again on the road at night. Like, that is just not fair. Like, I think game day. Is game day going to Notre Dame? I, I don't I know. I imagine but, it has to be. I don't think they've picked. They usually don't. Have they picked already? Maybe. In any case, they just had to go to a game day game and play at Oregon at night. And now they got to go to Notre Dame and play. First of all, they should have lost that game against Oregon. Just so we're all clear. I mean, that was a literally an atrocity. Oregon fumbled the game away. Yeah. So uh, I agree. I'm trying to look up when it is. Yeah. It's at 730 PM in South Bend. I'm taking Stanford. I have been riding with Stanford. I think Stanford's covered every spread too. I think Notre Dame is going to squeak this one out, but it's going to be close. So Stanford to cover, Notre Dame to win. Who do you got? Notre Dame. 
by far. I think they'll win by 14, probably, at least. Is that because of the new their quarter, impressive their performance new quarter. against Ball State? No, it's their new quarterback. <laughs> they switched quarterbacks. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So, they well, did switch quarterbacks, and he's been looking good. No, and they've been they've scored what forty plus points a game. I mean, they have they're they've been they've been pretty efficient. I, I just don't trust Stanford. Bryce Love is all. What is uh, what is Stanford other than Bryce Love? And he hasn't been that great. He right sucked. Yeah. He's he was a Heisman candidate. He was the number three in the Heisman poll going into the season. He hasn't done shit. So yes, that's why. Enjoy the Duke game. Let's hope for a big bounce back. If nothing else than a gut feeling, I feel kind of good about the game. I, I, we joked about that line with the with the game last week and it being like Syracuse. And boy, oh boy, did that ring true. My God, that was crazy how we even made that joke. We keep making jokes and they keep coming true. It's the, <laughs> uh, our jokes are no longer being funny. They're just like actual, just like you know, Nostradamus, you know prophesizing the future at this point. All right. That's it for the podcast. It's 2dvt.com. That's where all of our picks, our stats, our beers are. You can, you can stream every podcast 2dvt on Twitter and Instagram. Make sure to follow us both places, subscribe, rate review on Apple podcasts. And until next time, go Hokies. Go Hokies.